Welcome to the Service Intel Podcast powered by Aquant. This season, Sydney Lara, our resident service principal here at Aquant, is sitting down with top names in the industry who are rethinking what it means to provide great service. With over 20 years of experience in operations and service leadership, Sydney knows this industry like the back of his hand, and he'll be your guide through it all as we navigate what's next for the service industry. In today's episode, Sid sits down with Salvador Accardo, VP of Services at ABB. The two of them will discuss the rise of contractor work and third-party field service teams, and how they could eventually account for a good amount of work being completed. They talk about what's driving the need for third parties, the challenges and advantages associated with them, and what the future outlook looks like for this type of workforce model. We hope you enjoy the episode, and now I'll pass things over to Sid. All right. Uh, Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us today on the topic of third-party field service teams. Uh, My name is Sydney Lara, service principal with Aquant. Uh, Super excited to have a conversation with our special guest today, uh, Salvador Ricardo, uh, Vice President of Services at ABB. But uh, without me getting into too much, I'll I'll let uh, I'll turn the mic over to Sal to give a brief introduction on his name, his title, and his uh, background. Sal, over to you. Thanks, Sydney. I appreciate it. Hey, um, appreciate the time that you uh, you guys have given me today to speak about a very important topic. Um, but for a little bit about me, so I've been with uh, ABB now going on four years, part of prior uh, acquisition from GE Power, um, and then going back a little bit of history into uh, Lucent, all the way back to Lucent Technologies. So what I do is I lead a services organization that provides, I would say, inside plant or construction type services in three major spaces. One is telecommunications, two is data centers, and the third is uh, in the industrial segment. Uh, Leading a very specialized team of engineers and field service engineers and technicians across the country, um, looking at other opportunities to expand and grow both on a global scale. Um, Long history in this industry, probably about 25 years now if I do the math. And uh, just, it's a great space. It's a great um, opportunity to engage customers and clients. And I uh, really enjoy with uh, my team and what we bring to the table. Awesome. Thank you, Sal, for the introduction. Yeah, and I like your uh, your background. It uh, looks like you had time in, in, in service, but then you went into sales a little bit uh, and then back into service. So uh, I think that's a fantastic background from from understanding the needs from a commercial perspective or sales perspective versus service needs. So appreciate and, and value that background. Uh, today, we want to talk a lot, a lot more into subcontractor work, third-party work. And correct me if I'm wrong, Sal, but I go to a lot of conferences and we see that there is either, there's either an inquiry or a transition uh, where subcontract work is becoming a little bit more um, wanted from, from manufacturers and could amount for a good portion of the work that manufacturers do. Uh, looks like a lot of organizations are looking to grow their network and um, how they deliver their services on a, on, a, on a broader footprint through third parties. Um, would you say that's a fair assessment of, of what's going on or what you're seeing in the industries or throughout the services? Absolutely. Look, um, as much as we'd like to think that we could do it all. We can, right? And regardless of what company you work for, whether it be time with GE or now with ABB, 
there is uh, there's a finite number of resources that any company could have on, in, on its roster. So look, the, the third party network is vital to be able to represent the brand, um, represent the organization, do the work safely and effectively to our customers. And I think it's really important that um, the specializations now, when you take a look at construction type projects where you have three or four dis, dis, excuse me, different disciplines that, again, you need to bring in that specialization. And typically it isn't always uh, internal. Yeah, yeah, it makes total sense. Um, when you think about, you know, I, I think of the chicken, the egg story is what I call it, right? You know, being in service in the past and trying to break into two markets with your product, right? And sales would always argue, hey, you don't have representation there, right? And then the service guy will say, hey, well, there's not enough installed base unit for me to have services there, right? So that becomes fun. Go ahead, chime in. It looks like you want to chime in on that one. <laughs> Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head, Sidney. I mean, look, that's the chicken and the egg scenario, right? Um, <laughs> sales team wants to sell everything they can in the portfolio. You know, again, goes back to that finite comment I mentioned where you're only so broad, so big at any particular time and space. You want your, if you're going to put resource capital into a specific market or location, it has to be sustainable, right? I do not think that it's in anyone's best interest to have this kind of revolving door of people on payroll, off payroll, right? It just doesn't set a good climate. It doesn't set a good work um, environment. So when you think about it, right, how you stage it as the sales team that wants to approach a geography, we look at uh, an internal coverage zone, yes or no. If it's no, then we take a look at, okay, what partners do we have on under contract today? And uh, if that's a fit, great, right? And then if not, then you go down the checklist, okay, I need to find a partner. I need to understand their geography, their coverage, their commitment to um, EHS, uh, environmental health and safety, their commitment to following the ideals and principles that represent our organization, as well as the subject matter expertise to do the work. So it's it's a pretty... I would say dynamic matrix when we take a look at where we want people, how do we want to service those customers and, you know, what's the best inroads, whether it be internal, external, or maybe a hybrid mix of both. Excellent. Sal. So, so you answered very well. What I wanted to ask about is what is the, the process, you know, the strategic decision-making process on considering that. I think you, you handle that very well. Uh, thank you. Um, you know, I think from a service leader's perspective, you know, one thing I you can add or I'll add into there, feel free to chime in, is around utilization, right? So you always want folks that are utilized when you're talking direct workforce and having enough assets or work out there to keep them working as opposed to twiddling thumbs, right? And mm-hmm. I think that's a benefit. Maybe you can add some some color there, uh, a benefit of having a third party um so if you're not fully utilized, maybe maybe that's a direction where you make that decision uh, on the road of of using a third party versus a direct workforce. Would you would you agree with that? Dynamically, yes, right. So utilization is key when you have a workforce that is billable, right? Uh, utilization metrics are in place. You know, cost models are set up for a certain utilization rate that equates to a number of headcount, and then um, you want to hit those targets. Now, plus or minus, right? Uh, higher utilization, 
Some people may look at it as a good thing. Well, every time you go, say, above a certain utilization target, you're taking away from holidays, vacations, training time, things of that nature. So it's finding that balance and, and tracking to that balance to where it meets the cost model. It also allows people to take the personal time off that they've earned, um, and it allows investment and training. And this is where that third-party model could come into play. So if there's an underutilization, uh, for example, you can look for more opportunities to internalize. But if there's an overutilization, that's where you would leverage a third party to start picking up the slack, so to speak. So, Sal, I love what you said around, uh, you know, the decision making process around bringing folks on. Um, and maybe you can give a little more color around uh, sometimes it's not just one or the other. And sometimes it's a mixture. And um, maybe you can share some of your experiences on how you balance using a mixture of workforces. Yeah. Yeah. That's an interesting challenge, Sydney, because like there's, there's always a little bit of a rub between internal versus external, right? There um, our internal teams potentially look at third parties as a threat to their future job stability and sustainability. However, there has to be a, an understanding. This is where communication internally and with the third parties makes sense where like everyone's got a swim lane. Right. And my team does one, two, three beautifully. And then we have a third party or multiple third parties that are doing four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, so to speak, because they're specialized in that area. So when you take a look at the combined synergies between the specializations, that's how we were successful as a team. And it's all about communication. It's all about ensuring that no one party feels threatened um, by the other. It's Ultimately, delivering to customers' expectations. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well said, Sal. Thank you. I think another thing um, to talk about is the utilization thing you mentioned. Uh, I recall times in the past when you put a case together, the the numbers of utilization at sixty five, seventy. I don't know what your numbers are, Sal, but it's not fully maximized. And the reason why it's not fully maximized because you don't want to drive a ton of overtime. But not just overtime, it's burnout, right? And you talked about vacation and time to breathe. Maybe you can share your, your experience on how have you sold that up the chain, right? Because I don't know how analytical your CFO might have gotten to you when you talk about utilization. Maybe any experiences, and I saw you smile, any, uh, any stories to share on that? Yeah, that's, it's always a danger, right, when, when we're working the, uh, the teams beyond the utilization target. Um, first and foremost, <clears throat> a lot of it's inside construction, and a lot of it has to do with electricity, right, and amperage and, and arc flash scenarios where people can get hurt or worse. So to find that balance of, hey, how much is too much work is really the key. You know, working long hours or working overtime consistently, um, traveling from site to site uh, on a consecutive basis being away from home for weeks of months, not on end, um, tends to wear people down. And this is where we have to be very careful, right? Because safety issues, people make mistakes, they're mentally not engaged, and that's when accidents happen. So that's that fine balance of, you know, when enough is enough. Right? Yeah. You can ask people to work overtime occasionally, right? And it's fine. But again, the wear and tear in the body, the mind, you have to, we have to be very sensitive to that because 
Again, the last thing we want to ever happen is people not go home at the end of the day. Yeah, very, very well said, Sal. Thank you. And not only that, you had to be mindful as a leader because some folks love the overtime because they love the money. Right? But I love the way you put that safety balance in there. So thank you. Um, let's let, let's switch a little bit over to the qualification process, sales. So we're talking about, you know what you do for your direct hires, uh, but the qualification process to bring on third parties. Are there any best practices you can share regarding tracking the performance uh, of third parties as you bring them on? You know, so that's a, it's a multitude of, of, I would say, a betting review. So First and foremost, from a business standpoint, you want to take a look at, you know, the viability of the companies that you're trying to take a look at onboarding. Um, are they financially viable? What's yeah. their safety record, both from a, an OSHA standpoint or whatever other metrics that's specific to a certain industry? Um, then it's the, the amount of headcount, the resource pool, the qualifications of that resource pool, the average number of years of experience of people on staff. Um, then it's a vetting of the facilities. Do they meet the minimum qualifications for our HSE, um, health, safety, and environmental evaluation, right? Uh, we have certain standards that we expect third parties to uh, abide by, um, both from a, a physical standpoint and a safety standpoint. And then there's the other piece that's it's an integrity standpoint. ABB is very, uh, very high in providing an integral part of our uh, our organization yep. to be transparent, um, mm -hmm. to work closely with customers, to work closely with suppliers, right? And there's a, a, a very core basis of integrity. Let's pause there. I should go back and rephrase that. Um, integrity is a core portion of our business as well as everything else. So we want people to operate and um, honestly and openly. And if there's issues, you know, we want to address. So you combine all that with, okay, now we have a viable supplier, um, a third party. They have a subject matter expert uh, expertise that we need, our customers are looking for, that we can work with. So then you go through the trials of, okay, you try it, you try a few projects with them, you evaluate. I have a quality auditing team that goes out and evaluates the performance in the field. I have my back office piece where um, we evaluate how they invoice, how they process paperwork, you know, are the invoices matching the POs, things of that nature. So then we can get a good feel of how they're doing business. And then as we add more volume of projects to the third party specifically, then we continue to do what I would say is a health check of every month um, and then a quality uh, review every quarter, right, with some on-site visits and then the continuation of the in-field quality audits that my team performs to ensure that they're following uh, standards. Awesome. Uh, well vetted, it sounds like, you know, from onboarding, qualification, qualifying from financials. Uh, I love the integrity piece um, and an ongoing quality process uh, to ensure the effectiveness that they're representing you guys as you would expect them to. Let me ask a question around this, Al. Um, when it comes, you, you, you mentioned KPIs. Uh, outside of the broader quality management process that you have, do you have the same KPIs when it comes to the day-to-day -day, uh, tracking of your third parties that you do of your direct workforce? 
Very similar, right? Um, it's hitting on-time delivery dates. It's performing work safely on a daily basis. It's reporting of any issues that arise during the construction or execution of the project. And it's close communication with my project management team, with their project management team, um, senior managers continuing to communicate, looking for best practices, lessons learned. Um, I think there's times where we've found um, numerous cases where we can improve a process, uh, working collaboratively together. We can uh, expand on a process that we feel that needs enhancement. So it's a very good working relationship. Um, that is the goal yeah, because, yeah. you know, both of us, both sides of the parties learn, right? And then to take those lessons learned and expand them across the entire third-party network makes absolute sense so that we're, we're all on the same page and yeah, we're all yeah. tracking to the same targets. Awesome. Thanks, Al. I want to move over to incentivizing now because my experience has been when you contract a third party, right, they're working for you, but they're working potentially for your competition and many others, mm -hmm. right? And um, they often will sell you a game that, yes, you will be priority. Uh, but sometimes I think you have to put a carrot out there, right? Um, and part of it's through the KPIs to ensure that they're delivering to your expectations. But can you talk about any incentives, I'm sorry, incentives, I should say, that you do that you leverage to your advantage to not only make it attractive for a third party, uh, but to make sure that they're maximizing the delivery of customer expectations on your customer's behalf? Yes, and that's a, that's a tough one because, you know, a lot of our third parties do work for my competitors. Um, it's just the nature of the beast. Uh, the incentive to incentivize that really is more of a, like, I think it goes back to the value prop that we deliver as a equipment manufacturer, the leverage that they can um, use both from clients that and customers that aren't necessarily aligned. There's a there's there's also the ability to, I would say, buy products and such at a potential discount. Um, that keeps them engaged and, and helps, allows them to be more competitive in other spaces. But really, I, I think really the key is what they've learned, right? What they learned from a, an OEM is phenomenal. Um, the, the vast resources that our company brings to the table, their ability to leverage that, our expertise to help them, so long as you tread the line of competitive environment and um, uh, IP. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, I think the uh, you said that well, the advantages they get of OEM support. Um, and then as you talked about incentives around discounts or, or you know, uh, of things of that nature. Have you done anything this is coming from my past experience uh, around incentivizing based off of performance, bigger discounts, for example, better support, you know, you know through the call center, etc. Anything like that you can talk about? Um, we've looked at different programs in the past. Um, there has been times where we take a look at, uh, maybe a little bit deeper discounts, things of that nature, or there's been times where there's, um, a rebate associated with performance. Uh, haven't seen those programs in the last couple of years. Basically, I would say due to the resource constraints of the industry, a lot of that has evaporated. Um, just yeah. delivering on commitments now is tough enough. Now, is it viable in the future? Absolutely. There are yeah. some things that we can change, but I think 
the resource availability has to level set, and that probably won't happen for a few years. Great point, Sal. Thanks. Um, I'm hoping that folks listening to this podcast uh, are listening to understand, maybe because they're curious on how to change your workforce or they're, they're looking to consider to, to make it a little more dynamic with the mix. Uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about geography, uh, you know, when it comes to inner city versus remote areas. What decision cell do you make when it comes to geographies of using direct workforce or expanding to, th- to third parties? Any best practices you can share? Yeah, I would say that, uh, Sydney, the best practice there would be multiple overlay, right? So there's going to be some companies that are going to be open to more urban areas than remote and vice versa. It, it depends on the, their dispersal of resources. Um, and they have to find the best model that works for them. Right? We're, we're not going to uh, basically dictate right this or nothing kind of scenario. But we really have to have a, a an understanding of what their business model looks like, where their strengths are, where their weaknesses, and so on. And then we balance that out. Um, like there's certain costs associated with working in remote locations versus urban, just, just generally just a resource pool that's available. Um, and that's just a fine line. If you look at the United States specifically, like the density of east of the Mississippi is phenomenal compared to the West Coast or the mountain regions where it's sparse and and it's really tough to service customers out there. But I think it's just understanding the their business model, our business model, our customers' expectations, and continuing to find that balance, which is never easy. Um, it's always a it's always a moving um, a target, and something that I think we have to continue to do, you know, project over project. It, it's never going to be a unilateral blanket comment. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Sal. Um, Let's get into a little bit of the challenges, right? So you, you've vetted, you have quality checks, you have KPIs, but maybe on a larger scale cell uh, for those listening in, what are some of the challenges you have encountered with third parties and typically what's your best practices to overcome your challenges? I think a couple of challenges. One is, is understanding that we want to be sensitive to their business model. At the same time, we want to don't put us, we don't want to put ourselves in a competitive, you know, uh, hot zone, so to speak. Like we know that there's a finite number of customers. Uh, we also know that everyone's vying for those that customer spend, that share of wallet. Um, I think it just makes sense to where who's got the lead position should stay in that lead position and, and work closely. Again, it's a two way conversation. Uh, but just understanding the competitive environment, right? understanding that my competitors might be using the same third parties. It's having respect for that. It's, but it's also working around it. And it's also safeguarding the intellectual property um, that we present to our third parties. That's part one. The other one is really it's about quality, quality of work. It's ensuring that we're delivering the customer expectations. Um, and then the best way to do that is to audit right the work that they're performing and if we if we're not auditing then we're not doing ourselves a service and we're not doing ourselves our customers a service as well we want to ensure that when projects are completed they meet standards and expectations yeah so auditing right and understanding their business model and um i think that the third piece 
And there is one more. It's about, it goes back to integrity. It goes back to, look, I'm presenting a scope and a cost of that scope. And we're accepting that. And we're actually receiving everything that we're buying. And that is really about the business-to-business relationship. And it goes back to that auditing process, right? If I buy 100 things from company A, I expect to receive 100 things from company A. Yeah. Awesome, Sal. Well said. All right, Sal, you know, you've really shared some amazing, insightful, high-level things to consider. Uh, I hope folks listening in will uh, take note of this. Uh, it's, it's, It's never black or white, but I think you've gave some tremendous insight, so I really appreciate that. In closing, Sal, um, I want to ask you a question. You know, you, you just talked about the pandemic having a real uh, wear or, or, or thinning of resources, if you will. But from your experience and expertise, Sal, do you see service organizations moving to adopt more third parties over time? Or do you think it will be a nice blended mix? Uh, your, your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. and. It's one that uh, I think is a continuing evolution of thought. Um, I think the hybrid model is definitely here to stay. Uh, It's what percentage of that model really works for your organization. Um, There's going to be times where you're going to want to accept more scope, more types of larger projects, and you're going to need help. So my my comment around that is like, don't be afraid of the third party model. Um, I know people are hands away, pushing it off saying, Hey, look, I I don't want to give that type of control to a third party. And it's, it's difficult because we have this innate ability and understanding of, look, if I don't control it, if I can't wrap my hands around it, it doesn't exist and I don't trust it. So I I think that's my, that would be my, um, my advice is don't be afraid of it. If you set it up properly and everyone understands their swim line and you vet out the companies that you feel that would be an added value to what you're delivering to your customer, then it's the right model. Um, you just have to d- go deep with it. You just can't expect to sign up company A and fully expect them to perform to expectations if you don't invest the time, the energy, the training, and the the continuous communication with them. The goal, the goal of the third party model and our company and what we deliver to customers is to satisfy our customers, period. And I don't think any other third party companies are in their business model to do anything less. So with that understanding, a mutual understanding is we want to do the best. We want to be the best. We want our customers to want us back. Right. So we all have to be successful and we all have to roll up our sleeves. And sometimes it it feels a little uncomfortable. Um, But, you know, I would say get past that, uh, move, put a program in place, put a team to manage it, evaluate it, vet it, audit, and communicate. And if you could do that, right, the, the successful integration of third party model into your business model. Um, we'll reap a lot of rewards. Well said, Sal. Um, one thing that's just resounding through our conversation and in and, and closing here, and I hope everyone gets the same message that I did, right? It's 
it's a little bit of work, but to bring them on, it requires leadership on your behalf on an ongoing basis, right, as a partner to develop them, right, to develop them and communicate with them um, to make them successful, as to your point, to obviously satisfy the customers and bring the customers back. So well said. Um, um, really appreciate your expertise on that. Before I get closing, Sal, anything else that I missed out on that you might want to share with the audience? No, I, Cindy, you covered quite a bit here. And I, I think that um, the highlights are there, right? Um, I think really the, the part was just don't be afraid. Try it, try it, um, but do it in a very methodical, thoughtful way. And again, they, your partners, your third parties that you're working with or potentially going to work with, they've got to buy into this. They've got to be on board with you 100%. And if they're not, there's other options out there. So don't be afraid to say, get to a certain point, say, you know what, this isn't working for us. It's not working for you. No harm, no foul. And then we all move on. Um, but if you can establish that, you can get that going and you can build a track record of successful projects in place, successful deliveries, customers are, are loving what you're bringing to the table, then, you know, then build upon it, right? And yeah. uh, expand. That, that definitely a recipe for success and growth uh, by doing that. Yeah. So, Sal, I'd really like to thank you again for taking the time to speak with us today. Very insightful. I'm sure uh, listening uh, folks will find the same. So hope to talk to you again in the future. Uh, until then, I'll let you say goodbyes. I appreciate it, Susie. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to speak. Thank you for uh, everything you've done. And uh, I look forward to uh, seeing what you guys come up with. All right. Thank you all. Bye-bye.